Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. In your program, you're going to find some Crosswalk notes. Pull those out. Those you can use to guide us a little bit. I remember distinctly the day my mother died. And I I remember it distinctly because I was nowhere near. And even though this has been many years ago now that my mom passed away, um, I I remember it like it was yesterday. I had been at her bedside 10 days, two weeks prior to her passing. And she was very ill. She was actually... Um, in hospice. She had suffered for a long time from cancer, and she was also beginning to, um, to suffer a little bit from Alzheimer's. But where I was on the day that she died was halfway around the world in a country called Nigeria. And what happened was a couple of African men came up to my buddy and me, Charlie, whom I had served in Zambia with, and um, this is a trip that we had been planning to go and, and teach the gospel to some men who were training to be uh, Nigerian pastors. And we had been planning that for a year and a half, and I had signed up for it a long time prior to this trip. I knew my mom was dying, but I convinced myself that she would make it until I got back. And as I just told you, she didn't. So on the day when I got the message to go into town, which was a journey in itself in Nigeria, so I could take a phone call to hear that my mom had died, I knew something serious had happened. You didn't just do that. And when I got the phone call and learned that my mom had died, I took a pretty deep breath and a lot of regret and and guilt and all kinds of things like, why didn't you rethink this trip, Jeff? Why did you have to keep on coming and go on this? There certainly could have been someone else who could have gone on this trip and you could have stayed at your mom's bedside, like my sister did. And my beautiful sister Jane sat by my mom's bedside and read Psalms to her as she passed. And quite honestly, it, there, there were a couple of days of regret and questions and confusion. Do I just get on the next plane and go back? Do I finish the job here? So a lot of stuff going on. And I was so tempted to take that little, that issue and, and turn it into something that was way huger that in retrospect, it really was. You know why? It was not as big as I made it out to be. Because my mom, five years before she died, had become a believer in Jesus Christ. For, for 25 years after I became a believer, and if you've been here for any length of time, you know that uh, I became a believer before my parents did. They were party people. They didn't really have time for Jesus. But I kept working on my mom. And then my sister, the one I just mentioned, Jane, she became a believer. And together we kept working on mom like a one-two punch. Actually, my mom signed up for what would be the equivalent of our 201 class and went through the class, and and through that, she became a believer. When I finally was able to get out of the fog of my own grief and step back and realize, you know, if you take an eternal perspective on this, 
Jane was doing anything that I would have done. My sister was reading the scriptures to her as, as she passed. And yes, I could have made, in freedom, I could have made a decision to stay. But it was also okay that I, that I went because I'm going to see my mom again. She's going to be in heaven. And, and we have a lot more time to spend together because the Holy Spirit drew her to faith and the Holy Spirit drew me to faith. And when I was able to take a step back and take an eternal snapshot of, of what the situation was, my grief and my guilt began to dissipate. And that's, that's really what we're here to talk about this morning is to be able to ask ourselves a question in the Bible, it's called putting on the helmet of salvation. But what that really means, because there's no physical helmet like a motorcycle helmet or a, or a, a Roman soldier helmet that you put on, what it really means is to step back from whatever your situation in life is today and calmly ask yourself, how much difference does this make to my eternity? How much difference does this make to the eternity of the person I love? And when you begin to take that perspective, everything in life changes. We are so tempted in life to do what I call catastrophize. You know what catastrophize is? Let's all say that together. I know that's a word you want to say, right? Catastrophize, right? Louder, come on, let's do it one more time. Catastrophize. What is that? It is to take something and turn it into a catastrophe when it really isn't a catastrophe at all. The old saying, take a molehill and turn it into a, a mountain. This is like taking an anthill and turning it into Mount Everest. And we all have a tendency to do this in everyday life. We overworry and we overthink and we get anxiety-ridden about things and we wonder how is this going to affect us and how is it going to impact our loved ones and we are just worry warts when it comes to stuff. And what Paul's going to teach us this morning is a secret, a secret of keeping your head in all situations and that's a secret that I know I can use more learning about. And I'm sure it's one that you probably feel, man, I would love to get better at keeping my head in every and all situations. And what Paul's going to teach us is one of the major things is to put on the helmet of salvation and to step back from situations and ask this simple, simple question. Is this going to impact eternity? Is it going to make any difference in my salvation? That's putting on the helmet of salvation. And I'm telling you, when you learn to ask that question as you go through life, daily asking that question, in fact, I'm going to give you a verse to memorize that's going to lead you back there. It's completely life-changing. It's transformative. And I mean day and night transformative because it reminds you to keep Christ at the middle of your life. Keep Christ at the center of your heart, Christ at the center of your mind, because he's the one alone that leads you to your eternal destiny. We're doing this series about superheroes right now. And one of the best superhero powers or pieces of your superhero uniform that you can possibly put on is this helmet of salvation and develop the habit of daily asking yourself, how much does this impact my eternal destiny, my salvation? 
You know, it's interesting. We're in the book of Colossians chapter three and and Paul went through a day and night change, didn't he? And we've named this after Spider-Man. If you know the story at all of Spider-Man, I mean, even if you know the merest details about Spider-Man, you know he went through a day and night transformation. He was this puny little Peter Parker. And the laughing stock of his school, he was the school nerd. The, the science nerd who was skinny, didn't get any girls, couldn't compete in any sports, an outcast. He also had gone through some personal tragedy in his life. His mom and dad had died when he was very young. He was being raised by his uncle and aunt who loved him very much, but, but still not, not his parents. And he missed his parents. He would have a little collection of stuff that his parents left him in his room and he would sit in his room and just pull that stuff out if you've seen the movie and just look at it and rearrange it because he missed his mom and dad. One day he's in this place where there are radioactive spiders and one of the spiders drops on his neck and bites him. And in that moment, that, that bug bite, that, I guess spiders aren't really bugs, are they? But that spider bite, arachnid, we could all say that word together too. It bites him and it's radioactive. And in the movie, he gets bitten He gets on a subway train to go home and he falls asleep and when he wakes up, he's transformed. He's got spidey sense. He's got the strength, the agility, the reactions and the responses of a spider. When he gets scared on the subway train, he jumps up and he, he, like a spider, he sticks to the roof of the subway train. When these guys start to come at him, he dodges and he ducks and people go flying because he's got this amazing new strength and agility. And it's overnight. And I think why we chose Spider-Man, I know why we chose Spider-Man for this message, is that when you think of the author of the book of Colossians, the Apostle Paul, he went through a similar, very dramatic transformation, didn't he? He was attacking Christians, completely opposed to Christianity, thought thought that Christianity was massively misleading people, was teaching people to trust in lies and myths, making Jesus Christ a savior when he really wasn't. That's what Paul thought. And he was so serious about making sure that didn't happen, that he went on the attack literally. He stood and supervised the death of the very first Christian martyr, a a man by the name of Stephen, who was killed by having large heavy stones thrown at him until he was dead. One day as Paul is actually leaving Jerusalem to go quite a distance to a city called Damascus to, to, to find some more Christians and persecute them, and he's got his entourage with him. Christ confronts him personally on the road to Damascus in a bright shining light with a voice. And and he asks Paul, why are you persecuting me? That bright shining light blinds Paul. 
His companions ultimately lead him into Damascus where God sends a gentleman by the name of Ananias to, to heal him and the scales drop from Paul's eyes in more, way than, more ways than one and Paul's transformed. He becomes a believer in Jesus Christ. It's the equivalent of going from Bill Maher to Billy Graham. Think about that. That's the distance right there. Bill Maher to Billy Graham. And from that point on, even the name changes. He was Saul, persecutor of Christians, and he becomes Paul, the greatest missionary who ever lived. Everything about his life, his purpose, his priorities, his friends, everything transforms. And when he writes to the Colossians, when he, when he comes to write to us through the Colossians, He's looking out at a group of people that he wants to have the very same passion about Christ and this transformation that he has, that he has been given by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what he's seeing in the Colossians, this was a group of people that Paul probably had not personally evangelized or talked to, it was probably done through some of Paul's followers, some of his people that gathered around him to be fellow missionaries. But he gets this report about Colossae that, that, that there are people who are kind of sliding back into the old way of life. They had become Christians, but the world was tempting them to, to pull back from the passion, from the, from the change and the transformation of their hearts and minds, and to go back into the ways of the world and worldly philosophies and, and listen to these other people's voices. So Paul comes to them with this message and he says, there's one thing that is important above all, and that is that you keep in mind how salvation came to you. And it came to you in just one way, through hearing the message of Jesus Christ. It's not what you do as the world will teach you. It's what Jesus has already done for you. It's his amazing sacrifice on the cross. It's his resurrection. It is Christ and Christ alone that makes the total difference in your life. I need you to get back there to that original passion Paul is telling the Colossians. I think we can relate to it, can't we? I, I know sitting in this room today, there, there are people that are so new to this Christian faith that if you're sitting in here and you're a guest or you've been coming to Crosswalk for a while and you, you've, you've come from a place where you know, you're not sure about God and Jesus and all of that, even today you may be sitting there and going, whoa, pastor, that word passion is a little bit scary because I'm not even sure I trust in Jesus. Could we back down a little bit the heat? There are others of you that have been Christians for a long time. And you're sitting in this room, you grew up with it. You were taught it in a Christian school. You, you maybe went to a Christian high school. You went to a Christian college. Or if you didn't do all those things, you've been in church almost every week. And you've learned it. You, you can recite passages from memory. You know the history of the Old Testament. You can even give me the names of the Old Testament kings in order. You know the, the life story of Jesus. You know the, the missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul. But it's all right up here. And, and there are many days where you're just not sensing it here, in your heart, in your chest, in your gut. You've got the facts 
but the passion is gone. There's some of you that feel a heart's passion, maybe even a, an intellectual passion for the truths of Jesus Christ, but they've, they've stayed there in your mind, when you come to church, maybe you feel that passion a little bit in your heart. The worship music stirs you up. But when you leave this room, you haven't learned yet how to take God's word and say, this is really, really real. I may be real people, but this is real faith, meaning it, it can be applied to what I do every day. And I can be passionate about it because the things that I'm learning here, they transform my relationships at work, my relationships at home, because I'm actually passionately working to put this stuff to practice in my life. Some of you are just falling, falling short of that. You haven't learned to take the word and actually believe it to the point where you say, I'm going to change what I do based on, on what the Bible's teaching. It's still kind of intellectual knowledge and maybe a little bit of heart knowledge, but it's not in your hands and your feet and your mouth yet. See, Paul's addressing us. If you're in any one of those segments that I just mentioned, Paul's addressing you today and he's saying, put on the helmet of salvation because if you realize it or don't realize it, this message that you're hearing about Jesus and the cross and the empty tomb, it's transformative. It's life-changing. Not just heart-changing, not just mind-changing, those first, of course, but it is life-changing as well. And that all happens because of the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. When those are deeply embedded in our hearts, we start to learn that we can go through life and, and ask ourselves this question. If Jesus has already given me heaven, and he has through Christ, what about all these little bumps and bruises along the way? Do they really matter? So let's dive in. Let's take a look at, at Colossians. I, I pulled one verse out. We're going to look at Colossians 3, 1 to 11. But here's what I think is the central verse. And this is the verse that, that is really telling us, Paul is saying, that old way of life, the old way of thinking, the old way of feeling, the old way of acting is gone. See what it says? Paul writes to the Colossians and reminds them, for you died. That old way of life is gone. And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. I love that turn of phrase. Because not only does Paul say, your old way of life disappears and you're starting a new way of life, he actually says you have a superhero costume. And it's not a Spider-Man costume, it's Jesus Christ costume. And when you put Jesus Christ costume, you are hidden. Just like Spider-Man is hidden behind that costume, you can't tell who he is, you are hidden in Christ, Paul says. When God looks at you, doesn't see sinner anymore. He sees saint. He sees Jesus, the most perfect person who ever lived. That's pure gospel. That's pure grace. You wear the Jesus costume. When others look at you, as you're living out your, your, your Christ-like heart, 
they also begin to see Jesus in you. So will you write this down? You've been bitten too by the Jesus bug. And the after effects transform your life, your entire life. Now I'm going to back up and let's start with verse one. On the basis of this thought, we've been bitten by the Jesus bug and the after effects are going to transform our entire life. Let's see what, what Paul has to say about that transformation. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts, where? Help me out. Where should we set our hearts? On things above. Meaning not on things here. Why set your hearts on things above? Because who is above? What does Paul say? Christ is above. Where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Now not only set your hearts on things above, it's not just transformative to our hearts and emotions, Paul goes on and says, set your, help me, minds on things above. Not on earthly things. Christ has come and taken away the old life and given us all rebirth. We talked about that with Marco this morning. This is a washing of rebirth and regeneration. When you come to faith in Christ, you are washed clean of your sins. You're brought into a new way of life. Paul is harking to that. And he says that changes our heart, it changes our mind, and specifically, it changes how we look at life. And our, and, and our minds and our hearts start to think about the eternal, the lasting, the heavenly things, the things above, Paul calls them. For you died, we studied this passage, and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. You've got the, the Jesus Christ superhero costume on. His righteousness covers you. When Christ, who is your, what? Circle Christ and circle life and link those two, will you? Because that is saying something so very, very vitally important. Do you have anything that you consider your life? My spouse is my life. My children are my life. My home is my life. My cars are my life. My, my sport is my life. What is it for you that you're tempted to say, and it's not Jesus, this is my life? Can I be honest with you? The thing that I'm constantly tempted to make my life and thus make it my idol is my beautiful bride. We've been married 35 years. We are so close. And it would be so easy for me to say that girl is my life. She's not my life. As much as I love her, she's not my life. Christ is my life. And I can love a lot of things in this world, in this life. Paul says, those are not your life. Your money is not your life. Your house is not your life. Your spouse, your children. Christ is your life. That's huge. 
When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That's the goal. Christ is going to come, and the goal, never lose sight of it, never forget it, is to be in glory with the one who is your life one day. Write this down. What gets transformed when you get bit by the Jesus bug? First of all, a transformed goal. A transformed goal and eternal glory is the new goal. Not glory here. I think about the apostle Paul. How easy was it for him, trained to be a Pharisee, to think, I need the accolades of people. Jesus looked at the Pharisees and said, you got... All y'all Pharisees, you love to walk around in your flowing robes and sit in the high places in the synagogue because you want to be considered important by the people, by the, the people of this world. Big mistake. You see, we're not just talking about possessions. Maybe you are sweating bullets to climb the corporate ladder and all you can think about all the time is, what does my boss think about me? Maybe it's what's going on in your home and it's your spouse or your children and you're constantly worried, what are they thinking about me? Am I getting respect? If you're in high school, nothing matters more than your peers. What do they think about me? And, and, and what, what, what Paul is saying is it's not, it's not about what you have in this life whether it's tangible stuff or whether it's glory and honor and respect, it's about eternal glory that Christ has already given you. You don't have to earn it. It's been given to you for free through the bloodshed of Christ shed at the cross for you. You have a transformed goal. Get to eternal glory no matter what and bring as many people with you as you can. Paul goes on in verse five and he says, now, this this is like being a vineyard owner. If you want to get to eternal glory, it's like producing fruit and you need to be ready to prune. If you're gonna have this one goal of getting to glory, cut everything out that detracts from you getting to that goal. You know, I, I, I love... I love going into the gym, LA Fitness, 51st Avenue, 24th Street, it doesn't matter which one. Because I love seeing the guys who are truly in shape. Now I, I go and I work out and I love and it's my, it's my little escape. But you want me to be honest? I'm not dedicated the way some of those guys are. They have really cut everything back that takes away from the goal of getting their bodies fully in shape. See this? I ain't there yet. (laughs) Paul says, if eternal glory is your goal, lose everything. He uses strong language. Everything that is going to detract from you getting there. Look at what he says. Put to death. Will you underline those words? Like, this is not gentle language. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust. You hear that? Evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, the the before Jesus life. But now you must also rid yourselves of all such things. I underlined all such things to show you he's like hardcore. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have not and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here's the second thing that gets transformed. When you take an eternal perspective and put on the helmet of salvation, your priorities are transformed. Things that used to be important get put down way low. Things that weren't so important before, they get elevated, and you begin to prune the vine. And you kill off whatever is detracting you from the goal. You get dedicated. And you get committed. And you start saying no to stuff. If you're not saying no to stuff, we got to ask ourselves, where's the passion? Because it's, it's nice and it's easy to say yes to all, that, all Jesus' love and all Jesus' forgiveness. And we ha- that's, the, that's the foundation. We, we have to have that. But Paul says the next step in the journey is reorganize priorities, which means you're going to say no to some stuff. And I broke this passage down so, you, so we can make sure we understand what Paul's telling us to say no to. So, transform priorities. I eliminate, eliminate anything that gets in the way of my true goal, such as sexual immorality, impurity, and lust. Wow, today's world is going to fight you on that. Everything in today's world is conspiring to make that sin an easy trap to fall into. Evil, greedy desires that lead to idolatry. Another one that our culture, especially American culture, will feed. Stuff is often life to us. It's easy to get greedy and to build our life around things that, is, that are not Jesus Christ. And let me, let me help you identify whether you're doing that. Is there anything that you fear daily that's not Jesus? That's well on its way to becoming an idol. Is there anything that you love daily that is not Jesus Christ? Be careful that it doesn't become your idol. Is there something that you trust and it's, it's approaching your trust for Jesus. Watch out because it wants to be king of the hill. What do you fear? What do you love? What do you trust? Really. What do you fear? What do you love? What do you trust? Really. Next, emotional baggage. Some of us, I was doing this when my mom died. I, for a while, I couldn't get over my guilt for not being there when she died. And that gave me a lot of emotional baggage and it started to affect stuff. So I had to learn to take my guilt over that and give it to Jesus, be forgiven. Or lack of emotional control. Some of us fly off the handle at the drop of a a pen. Paul says, get rid of such things as these, anger, rage, malice. Then he goes on to the verbal filters. Some of us have a lack of verbal filters and motor mouth disease. Paul says, 
There's stuff like slander and filthy language on your lips. That shouldn't be. Take the pruning shears and lop it out of your life. You're, you're tempted constantly to run off at the mouth, to gossip, to backstab, to curse and swear. That's what, that's what Paul's talking about here. And then finally, dishonesty and lack of transparency. Look, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, as we're going to hear in just a moment. That means that we are real people. Marco came up here, and I noticed, I don't know if you noticed, but when I said, you know, we're all sinners, he nodded his head. He knows. He's got sin in his heart. I've got sin in my heart. I know. And if you look at yourself truly, honestly, and transparently, we fail when we measure ourselves against God's holy law every day. We're sinful from the heart to the mind to the mouth. We're, we're, we're corrupt with sin. And we, we, don't, we don't want to tell anybody that ugliness. But, but God says it's so important to confess our sins. And to be truthful and honest and transparent about who we really are. Flip the page. So it transforms this, this Jesus bug that, that we've been bitten with. This putting on the eternal perspective, the helmet of salvation, transforms our goal. We have an eternal goal. It transforms our priorities. We know the stuff that we need to start saying no to. And it also transforms our relationships. Look at what Paul says in Colossians 3.11. Here there is no, will you, will you circle that word no? There is no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. I want you to look around. Is it easy to see people that are maybe a little bit different from you? A little bit older, a little bit younger? People that are obviously parents, people that aren't parents, people that are a different ethnicity or race than you are? Like if you want to look for differences, all you need to do is look down the aisle. In fact, you might just look at the person sitting right next to you whom you love. Man, opposites do attract. <laughs> you know what Paul's saying? Who cares? That is meaningless. It, it doesn't put on the eternal perspective, this stuff of this life, of who we think we are and the stuff that we pridefully use to look down on others, or the opposite is often true, isn't it? That we look around and we go, oh man, I wish I was like so-and-so. And then we get this inferiority complex and we put ourselves down and we think no one likes us because I'm X or I'm Y or I'm Z. And then we isolate ourselves and we think, well, everybody's unfriendly, but it's really us doing it to ourselves because of our own lack of confidence knowing that Christ is in us and I'm a daughter or a son of the king? Or the pride that causes us to look down our nose at someone else? Paul says, that's all baloney. And, and, to, and to make his point, you, you may go, Scythian? What in the world's that? 
Why does he throw Scythian in there? Let me tell you why he throws Scythian in there. In Paul's day, the Scythians were the most barbaric, uncivilized, uncouth, dirty, nasty, unclean people you could imagine. And everybody in the empire looked down on them because they just were thought of as nobodies. What's Paul saying? That class of people doesn't exist here because this is the church. Here, Christ is in us. And in that Scythian, Christ is in him. And that's all that matters. Notice what he says, but Christ is all and is in all. What we have in common is far more valuable and far more important than anything that we have that might be this little difference that we, that we see. Now, I'm not dishonoring your culture or your ethnicity. It's beautiful. It's beautiful variety. There's a, there's a, a wonderfulness to the differences God has. We, it'd be horrible to be all alike. But it's nothing that we look down our nose at someone and say, well, I'm better than you because, and whatever you fill in the blank with, Paul just says, stop that. Right here, right now. And whatever is causing you to not feel as good as someone else and put yourself down, Paul says equally, stop that because Christ is in you and you are just as valuable and important to God as anyone in this room. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. So transformed relationships, that's your next fill in. Pride, inferiority complex and whatever divides or isolates That's all replaced by Christ. The helmet of salvation, the Christ costume that you hide in transforms your goals, your priorities, and finally your relationships. And now Paul says, put on all the armor because when you do that, you're going to be able to stand up in daily life. This is so relevant, Paul says. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, and we're all going to experience it, tough stuff is going to happen, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, whatever comes at you, when you've tried everything you've got, if you've got the helmet of salvation and your spiritual armor on, guess who's going to be standing? Not all this crap, but you. Because you've got the armor on. You've got the helmet of salvation. You have stepped back from the ugly situation and you have said, does this really make any difference to my eternity? It seems so important today. It seems so critical. It seems so hurtful. It seems so troublesome and worrisome and concerning, but will it change where I'm going in the end? Is it going to prevent me from getting to heaven? No, because Jesus has already given me heaven. So it's not the mountain I'm making it out to be. It's not even a molehill. It's not even an anthill. Walk on by. Put on the helmet of salvation. And have this confidence. Paul's got this all over his epistles. We've looked at Colossians, we've looked at Ephesians, now Romans. Listen to this. No, in all these things, we are more than what? 
What's your eternal destiny, loser? What's your eternal destiny? Winner. You are a winner, a conqueror through him who loved us. Who's that? Who's him who loved you? Louder. Thank you. Yes. Through Jesus, you're a winner. Paul says, for I'm convinced that nothing can stop me now. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, height nor depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Christ has given me my eternal destiny and I'm certain about it. Write it down. Jesus assures us of our eternal destiny and that assurance allows us to keep our heads in all situations. I'm sure you've heard the statistics. 40% of what you worry about is something in the future you're worrying about that will never happen, ever. But you're worried about it. Oh, it's gonna come. 40%. 30% is something that already happened and you can't change it. It's spilt milk. So why worry about it? Because it's done. We're up to 70. 12% is things that other people think or do. Wonder what they think about me. Wonder what they're going to do. And guess what? You have zero control over what they think or what they're going to do. You're worrying about it. I ain't going to change it. We're up to 82%. Another 10% is health issues. Now, worrying about a health issue is just silly. Why? Because worry makes it worse, not better. So now we're up to 92% of the things that we worry about are worthless to worry about, and we're left with 8%. That's something decent. Worry about that. But don't worry about it because Jesus says, give it to me. Cast all your care upon me and I, care, and I will care for you. Take the eternal perspective. Will this affect my salvation? And that's why Paul says, take the helmet of salvation. And to Timothy, he writes, but you keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship because Satan is always aiming for your head. He's always aiming for your head. Put the helmet on and protect your head so that you can keep it. The helmet of salvation, the eternal perspective, the question, the simple question, will this affect my salvation? That transforms your goals, your priorities, and relationships, and it helps us all keep our heads. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask you fervently Take every heart and every mind in this room today and plant an eternal perspective inside of it. Help people in this room to develop the habit and the ability daily to be able to step back and say, because I am wearing the Jesus costume and I am hidden in the righteousness of Christ and I am assured of my eternal life through faith in Jesus, Help me constantly to ask, help these people constantly to ask this simple question, will this affect my eternal destiny? Will it impact my salvation? Lord, that's putting on the helmet of salvation to get back from all of our daily worldly problems and really examine them and stop catastrophizing.
Stop turning molehills into mountains. Stop worrying about things that we can change and simply give them to you knowing that heaven is the destination that you have given us already and nothing can get in the way. Lord, help us to remember that always. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. You know, it's kind of interesting being a follower of Jesus Christ because obviously it's important to us as a church to demonstrate that this ancient word of God is relevant to your life right here and right now. And that's why we have series like like the superhero series that God makes us superheroes through the gospel. But you will have also noticed in our worship at Crosswalk that we're not simply about the contemporary. Not once have we preached a message based on a comic book. We open a book called the Bible, an ancient book called the Bible, and we preach on that. We have ancient sacraments like the Lord's Supper. We pray ancient prayers like the the Lord's Prayer in the middle of our service. I might wear a Spider-Man shirt, but I also wear the kind of tennis shoes that I used to wear when I was a kid. Modern, ancient. (laughs) That's because we want to convey the truth to you all the time, that what we have to give you is eternal. And it's leading toward an eternal goal. And yes, it's relevant to today, but it's eternal. And we want your heart and your mind constantly pointed toward heaven through faith in Jesus Christ, your Savior. So on that thought, you've all been bitten by the Jesus buck. Now go out with your transformed goals, your transformed priorities, and you transform new friends and family members and live this life, this transformed life that God has called you to. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.